0: Heavenly Father, the psalmist writes, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that that will be true of us as we open your word today. I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. I've been to Jerusalem, and I've visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre there. It stands just on the edge of the old city. And it's a big old building, an ancient site. There's been a church on that location going all the way back at least uh, to the 300s AD, an ancient place of worship. As you go into the church, there's a set of steps that take you up to what is the traditional location for Golgotha, for the place where Jesus died. And then down below, in a big rotunda, there is the Holy Sepulchre itself, the traditional location for the tomb that Jesus was buried in. What's so strange about visiting that place is that you're swept along with this slow crush of shuffling pilgrims, and you queue for a significant length of time in order to see this historical site, only there's nothing much there. There's a marble slab saying that this is where Jesus had been buried. It's the only place I've ever visited where I've gone deliberately in order to see what isn't there. It's a bit like visiting the Louvre in Paris so that you can look at a blank piece of wall where the Mona Lisa should be hanging. Or going to the British Museum just down the road here in central London and going into a gallery uh, that is empty in the middle where the Rosetta Stone should be on display. There is no body in that tomb in Jerusalem. One of the central claims of the Christian faith is that Jesus died and was buried in a tomb on a Friday afternoon. But come Sunday morning, the tomb was empty because Jesus was alive. He had been resurrected Now, by any measure, that's an unusual sequence of events. As a rule, people don't come back from the dead. And so it is quite right that we ask, first of all, whether this claim is something that we can believe in. And then to ask if it is true and we can believe it. Well, what might that mean for us? So let's start where Jesus' friends started that sunday morning and i'll read some verses from mark chapter 16 as we explore things together mark 16 from verse 1 when the sabbath was over mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint jesus body Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, Back in those days, when somebody had died, their body was put in a sort of a temporary tomb. They'd be wrapped up, and they'd be uh, anointed with spices to control the smell a little bit, and they'd be left for about a year until the body had decayed and just the bones were left and they'd be gathered up together and put into an ossuary now jesus died on a friday afternoon just as the sabbath was beginning there wasn't time to make all of the preparations as you might normally have done at that time and so as soon as they can first thing on sunday morning once the sabbath is over This group of women go with their spices to the tomb where Jesus has been laid. And these women of Galilee, they'd followed Jesus around and they'd listened to his teaching. They'd actually helped to support him in his ministry. And they were there at his crucifixion and at his burial. Uh, Mark tells us, Mark 15 verse 47, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So as they go to the tomb that Sunday morning, they're expecting to find a giant stone sealing the entranceway and the dead body of Jesus behind the stone. They saw him died. They saw him buried. They really were sure that he was dead. And they weren't the only ones who were certain that Jesus had died. The centurion, who was responsible for the execution of Jesus, was convinced that Jesus had died. And Pontius Pilate, the governor, was convinced by that centurion's testimony. Let me read uh, Mark 15, verses 42 uh, to 45. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, crucifixion was a deliberately cruel and drawn-out method of execution. It would often take quite some time for people to die that way. Jesus had died within a number of hours of being hung on the cross. So Pilate summons the centurion to make sure that Jesus really was dead. Now, if there's one thing that Roman centurions could be relied upon to get right, it's the fact that they know how to execute people. This centurion would have killed many people in his time and overseen many executions like this one. If this centurion was sure that Jesus had died, well, Pilate took his testimony. And we can be sure that it was true as well. And then there's Joseph too. There's Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, Mark 15, verse 46. Uh, so Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Uh, here's Joseph, a wealthy and an influential man, a member of the governing council. He gives Jesus space, probably in his own tomb. And he makes sure that Jesus' body is laid there, wrapped in linen, the stone across the entranceway to keep it sealed. Nothing in his actions suggests that Jesus' body is anything other than a corpse at this point. The women, the centurion, Joseph of Arimathea, they've all seen enough to be absolutely certain that Jesus really was dead. The evidence... Is unanimous. That's why the women are so shocked by what happens next. Uh, Mark 16, verses 4 and 5. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Uh, these women get two big shocks as they arrive at the tomb uh, along the way they've been discussing how they're going to move that stone from the entranceway but when they get there that's the first big shock the stone has already been moved and perhaps at that point they're feeling confusion maybe bewilderment but that doesn't last long they enter the tomb and they find a young man in a white robe sitting there everything about this description suggests that this young man is an angel he's a messenger from god Uh, verse six don't be alarmed he said you are looking for jesus the nazarene who was crucified he's risen he's not here see the place where they laid him but go tell his disciples and peter he's going ahead of you into galilee there you will see him just as he told you. Uh, they thought that Jesus had died. They'd thought that they would never see him again. But here comes the news that Jesus had died, but that he has risen and they will see him again in Galilee, just as he told you. Uh, perhaps the angel said that in order to jog their memory because, well, this is shocking to them but it ought not to have been unexpected for them. You see, these women had followed Jesus around and listened to his teaching, and Jesus had taught that he would die. He had also taught that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. One of the themes of Jesus' teaching ministry again and again was his teaching about himself and about his mission. Again and again, he described the way in which he would die and said he would be raised from the dead three days later. So Mark 8 verse 31, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then Mark chapter 9 verse 31 He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And again, Mark 10, verses 32 to 34. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is so important as we explore the Christian faith. So much hangs on this. Because if Jesus was right in advance, as he described the way in which he would die and that he would be raised to new life, then we can know for certain that he is trustworthy in all that he says. It means that he's not a liar. It means that he's not a lunatic. It means we can trust him. It also proves that there is a genuine hope in the face of death. If Jesus has conquered the grave, if he's been raised from death, it means that we can be raised from death too. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he is a liar and the Christian faith is based on a lie. There's no hope to be found in it at all. That's why those words of the angel to the women in verse seven are so important. Uh, But go tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him just as he told you other accounts in the bible tell us that the resurrected jesus appeared on at least 10 separate occasions in one incident he appeared to more than 500 people at one time and that was no hallucination groups don't hallucinate like that and they don't hallucinate in different times at different places And this was no ghost or apparition either. The risen Jesus had a physical body. It was a body that would eat and drink, a body that people could talk to and touch. Perhaps the most compelling reason to believe in the resurrection is the transformation that took place in the disciples, the followers of Jesus They were a a cowed and a deflated group as Jesus died, much like the women that we've been reading about who visited the tomb. One of them openly doubted, demanded that he put his hand into the nail marks on Jesus' hand. But as the years passed, these disciples scattered across the known world, proclaiming what they had seen to be true, that Jesus had risen from the dead many of them died joyfully holding to this truth because they held to this truth they knew beyond doubt from the things that they had seen that jesus had been raised from the dead they were eyewitnesses to it it meant that no threat and no torture could cause them to deny it because they'd seen it for themselves. They'd seen firsthand that Jesus had triumphed over death. And so now death no longer held any power or any fear for them. Now, of course, the the resurrection, it's a difficult thing to believe. Uh, And as he tells the story of Jesus here, Mark knows that it's an outrageous claim to make. In fact, he recognizes that those who first heard this were confused by it. He ends his gospel in Mark 16, verse 8, with something of a cliffhanger. A trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Now, even though they had heard Jesus teach about his death and his resurrection in advance, it is too much for them to understand and to accept straight away. It took them a little bit of time. And it could be that you too find it a struggle to accept these things. The temptation may be to forget all of the evidence that we've seen about who Jesus is and what he said and what he said he would do. And what he did like these women at the tomb perhaps the temptation to run away from the resurrection and to say nothing more about it but remember those words of the angel there you will see him just as he told you well those words are true not just of the disciples at the time of Jesus they're true of every one of us in fact every person who has ever lived In a sermon that the Apostle Paul gave in Athens, which we can read about in the book of Acts in the Bible, Paul said, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In other words, the Jesus who rose from the dead is returning. His resurrection is just the start. It means that we will all be raised physically from the dead one day. And on that day, he will judge the world with justice. The question for us is, are we ready to meet him? Well, here is where the resurrection of Jesus is good news for us. His resurrection means that there is new life offered to us in him. And where he gave himself up to death on the cross to pay the penalty for sin that deserved death, so in his resurrection we can be confident that death is defeated and has no hold on us any longer. Jesus offers a fresh start with sin and it's penalty of separation from god paid for and eternal life in right relationship with god ahead of us let me give just one example of such a transformed life as i close here it's the example of the apostle peter a peter was a fisherman in Galilee, who'd been one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's the main eyewitness behind Mark's account of these events in his gospel. And Mark isn't shy about sharing some of Peter's weaknesses and failings. When Jesus had predicted his death, it was Peter who had criticised for him for his mission to go to the cross. When Jesus had told him to keep watch On the night that he was arrested, Peter fell asleep. And then, having promised, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, Peter, that very same night, denied even knowing Jesus. He denied him three times. Peter recognised his guilt in denying Jesus. He felt the weight of his sin. Mark tells us that as he disowned Jesus for the third time, uh, Mark 14, verse 72, uh, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter wept because his sin had caught up with him eventually. He knew that he was guilty. He knew that there was nothing he could do. To put things right with God on his own. But that is why the little personal detail from the angel at the tomb is so significant. Mark 16, verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. It's a beautiful detail. Peter is called out. He is named as one whom Jesus would meet with. Having died to pay for sin, having been raised from the dead to bring new life and a fresh start, Jesus wants Peter to know that he is included. Grieving his sin, trusting Jesus to pay for it. It means that his every denial, his every failure to love God, With all of his heart and mind and soul and strength. Every failure to love God as he should is forgiven. Fully and finally and forever. These friends can be reunited. Peter's slate can be wiped clean. He can have new life, a fresh start. And that is what Jesus offers to every one of us. His death and resurrection makes it possible. It means that we need not fear death if we trust Jesus with the forgiveness of our sins. He will take us on the path that he has gone through death and out into new life on the other side. Resurrected bodies. Bodies that will never again see sorrow or suffering, see disease or decay. Because of the certainty of the resurrection, we can trust Jesus with our own death. The question then is, can you trust Jesus with your death?